Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Anatomy of Movie. Today we dissect War Dogs in a very different fashion if you're a fan of Anatomy of Movies, so stay tuned for this experiment. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, War Dogs. War Dogs. We're doing a little something different today on Anatomy of a Movie. So Indeed. if this is your first time joining us, uh, this is not the regular structure. It's all right. If you're uh, if you're a fan of Anatomy of a Movie, well, let us know what you guys think of the format. Uh, we're not completely changing around the format to this, but it's almost out of necessity because I was the only one who saw War Dogs. Shame on me and shame on the rest of the Popcorn Talk staff. I'll say that. That's right. And while I've done reviews in the past solo... You know, it's not really fun, uh, and, and it's very difficult on me. And so I figured today what we'd rather do is Jeffrey Crane Graham. He's going he's gonna to sort of ask me questions, almost like an interview style, mm-hmm. and I'm going to answer them. And uh, we'll talk about all the various aspects of, of the movie that we normally talk about on anime movie. But it'll be at least conversational. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a uh, big NPR fan, so anyone out there who listens to Fresh Air with my girl Terry Gross, I'm kind of thinking that's sort of the aspirational version of what we're going for here. You put um, me to sleep already. Yeah, yeah. Forgive me for those who aren't a fan of NPR. And she also does tons and tons of research, but Phil's my buddy, and I'm really excited to learn about this movie. So uh, should that's be right. Let, let, me, uh, let me give you guys a couple of quick thoughts. Uh, number one, this was, believe it or not, for me, a very highly anticipated movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I love Todd Phillips. I love uh, the Hangover movies. Um, and I'm a Miles Teller fan. And I'm yeah. a Jonah Hill fan, to be honest, too. You know, uh, between t- not all of his movies do it for me, but the movies such as, like, the, the Jump Street series and whatnot, I think are fantastic, super bad, still one of the greatest comedies ever. Um, and I thought, you know, Miles Teller, I think, is, is a fantastic actor and is coming really into his own. So I was looking forward to that. And I, I, I liked the premise. I thought uh, it was gritty and, and there was something to be told there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a lot of Todd Phillips tropes. You know, it sort of begins where the movie ends and then you kind of rewind. Uh, so kind of manic like his other movies. Do you feel like, like very aggressive and intense and fast paced and yeah. a little over the top yeah you okay. know you de- definitely and 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 the uh the main characters are not necessarily uh, something to be aspired to hmm. um as well uh and overall i did enjoy it uh the thing that bummed me out was it was told mainly through voiceover which i thought was highly unnecessary you had there was chapter marks um uh, much like a tarantino movie and I thought that was effective enough. I, I didn't need the voiceover. Yeah, I mean, we both work in entertainment, and I think a lot of um, writers, directors, editors, anyone would say that voiceover is becoming a bit tired. And I think it's kind of a trope that's looked at, sort of, it's looked down on because it can seem like a um, artificial way to rely on telling a story when you could do it. I mean, Phil's an editor, so great editing could tell the story through visuals or, you know, understated subtle dialogue. So sometimes voiceover can feel a little hackneyed, I think. You know, uh, th- this was taught to me. Uh, the difference between if you want to keep the, uh, voiceover versus not, ask yourself, if if the story needs the voiceover, then you shouldn't use it. Hmm. Because if, if the voiceover there um, is there, but it really doesn't need it, then you're supplementing. It's almost like a contradiction. It's just juxtaposition. 
Hmm. Uh, which, you know, I mean, look at Shawshank Redemption. Believe it or not, that movie could stand alone without the voiceover. Yeah. Uh, but the voiceover adds Compliments. Whereas this, you know, the, the unfortunate part about War Dogs, um, you know, it, it would some of it would crumble if it didn't have the voiceover, hence why it was used. So, yeah, the voiceover should be the icing on the cake versus the foundation of the crutch. Interesting. That's something I'll consider as I keep writing. Uh, Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, But you liked it overall, it sounds like. Overall, yes. Overall, I'm I'm in the camp that that enjoyed it, Um, you know. And I thought, if nothing else, the ending was very hard-hitting. And I thought, again, the subject matter, uh, you know, was was as such and, and... and yeah, it just kind of brought you home right at the end. Was, uh, do you feel like this was one of those like fast-paced comedic movies that ends up being like a social commentary kind of thing? I'm thinking of The Big Short. Is what I'm thinking of right it, now. It's not quite like The Big Short in terms of the commentary, but but it, but there is something there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get this from the trailer too, uh, where Jonah Hill says, "You know, this isn't about pre- being pro war; it's about being pro money, dude." Oh. Um, and it is interesting, and it, it does open your eyes into this world of. Um, you know, he, you discover that Efren, who, uh, Jonah Hill plays a guy named Efren, that, that really, you know, these guys are bottom feeders. And the whole point of it was that, uh, they needed to, in order to get ammunition to, to, uh, the Iraq war and Afghanistan, whatever, um, they opened up somewhat questionable means of trade. Yeah. So that, that the American public could literally do this. Um, and the whole point was that there's certain government there was there was companies that weren't going to take uh, certain deals because it just wasn't uh, advantageous. In, yeah, it wasn't lucrative enough for them, right? Yeah. So then you know guys like you and I uh, could legitimately take you know, and we could make you know a hundred k on these smaller deals because no one else wanted to take them. Interesting. So it's kind of like the uh, mom and pop version of of gun arms selling. dealing. Yeah. Huh. That makes sense. Um, and it is interesting. You know, uh, the, the interesting moments of this are them going and. You know how they set these things up, and how, how how there's certain regulations, even though obviously it's like war and things like that, because um, they buy they buy Italian guns, but those Italian guns can't be brought into, uh, you know, they can't be brought into Afghanistan directly. So huh. then they have to now smuggle the guns into a neighboring country, and then from the neighboring country into. So there's like an element of like red tape. But, like, you're sort of asking the question of, like, why is there red tape surrounding war kind of thing? You know, yeah. You know, definitely. Huh. Um, you know, and, and, and that, in, in a way, what's nice is that uh, the Miles Teller character, David, um, you know, I don't know if, he, you know, the real life David isn't fully like this, I don't think. But you're, what I appreciate is you're, you're, he's, he's sort of the guy that still is somewhat redeemable. Mm-hmm. And by the end, um, even though he's done various deplorable things... I think he's he sort of understood the lesson, whereas uh, uh, um, John Hill's character Efren, uh, you know, he 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 never has while while he goes to jail and things like that. He he, he never fully. I, I don't I don't think he's ever going to change hmm. in the movie context. I don't know about in real life, but in the movie context, no. That's always an interesting juxtaposition, though. Like it sounds like these two probably carried the movie. I mean, this really was their movie at the end of the day. From what I can tell. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes if both of your protagonists learn a lesson, it can be a little boring. I think there's an element probably of complexity and interesting writing 
if maybe Miles Teller, his arc was a little redeemable and he learned his lesson, but Jonah Hill's character doesn't. I think of um, Jordan Belfort and Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Do you feel like there was Wolf of Wall Street tones in this movie? I got that from the marketing, at least. A little bit. I, you know, I mean, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, you know, and speaking, that, that, that was a movie that used narration um, mm-hmm. in an interesting way because, obviously, we couldn't trust the narrator. Yeah. Remember, there was a great example where Jordan Belfort's like, um, it was a black car. No, wait. Sorry, it was yeah. red. It was yeah, it was a red car. That was really interesting. I had never seen so um like concretely the idea of an unreliable narrator in film. Like I feel like I've seen that in novels before, but it, I loved that component. I know we're talking about war dogs, but I think like the that's an example of probably the right way to use voiceover, right? Because yeah. it's not necessarily just telling the story, it's revealing character yeah. in that situation. So Exactly, and so with, with with this, I mean, I mean, yeah, there, there's an element of that. Um, what I appreciate the, the complexity of it was, you know, these guys were best friends f- since forever, mm-hmm. um, and you know, J- Efren comes back into David's life, and even though they're best friends, like the, it, it takes David a long time to really know that he's at the end of the day being used by Ephraim, mm-hmm. you know, because he he sees Ephraim play these characters to everybody else, and what he realizes by the end is that. For all his life, Ephraim has played the role of a best friend to David when he really wasn't. And that was an interesting take on it. Yeah. Hmm. Um, cool. So, so I really enjoyed that. And, and you know, Ephraim, the real Ephraim, I, I want to look into this, he, he's not like what Jonah Hill portrays him, at least physically. Uh, and I thought Jonah Hill actually had a lot of fun with it because he's got this really uh, almost like a rat-like laugh. You the know, real, the real life Ephraim. No, no. Oh, no. Jonah Hill's character. You know, and uh, you know he's so disgustingly fat. He's like a Cuban drug lord to me. Interesting. And I enjoyed that aspect of it, which I know, uh, I know some people who did see the movie who who didn't want to appear on Anatomy, who who just didn't like Jonah Hill's character. But I said, like, th- there was a purpose to that. Right. I'm glad you didn't like. You weren't supposed to like him. I from what I've seen in the movie, it does look like this is a heavier version of Jonah Hill. It's interesting. One thing that I think is kind of bullshit is that Jonah Hill is an example of an actor whose weight fluctuates a lot, but it doesn't really seem like the media talks about it. Whereas, like, Melissa McCarthy is the same thing, where she'll change her weight for roles or whatever, and people are obsessive over her weight, which I guess unrelated seems to maybe reveal some of the double standards in the industry. But am I right in saying that this was, like, a heavier version of Jonah Hill than we're used to? I I mean, I I think in in more, most recently, like, I, I, I... you know, I think back to Twenty Two Jump Street is the one that comes to mind most recently. Uh-huh. You know, he's he's a pretty slim dude in that movie. Right, he is fat as f. Do you think he did that movie. to? I think it's inten- it's definitely intentional. Yeah, oh, he it, it was intentional, and you know, uh, he never met the real Ephraim, uh, which is kind of interesting. But uh, what is, his quote is. Um, I'm used to it. If a person is aggressively against me playing them, it's probably a good sign. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. I'm trying to think of who else he's portrayed. I guess in Moneyball, his character wasn't really deplorable, but um, that well, you know, interestingly enough, he's also in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of was Wolf of Wall Street, but I don't yeah. know if he's playing anyone. But that's a, I guess, from a character standpoint, as an actor, if you know you have a juicy role if the person you're portraying is afraid to see it realized on the big screen. Yeah. So that's, do you feel like the performances were pretty strong in this movie? I don't know if I'm jumping ahead too much. No, but. no, I, you know, I, I, I thought, um, I, I thought they were, I mean, they did definitely carry a lot of the movie on their shoulders. Um, and most specifically even Miles Teller. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I thought again, when he wasn't narrating that he did a really good job with it. Um, 
and I thought the dynamic with his wife is was actually really strong as well. Huh. I really like Miles Teller too. I think if I'm thinking about some of my favorite movies in the last two years, Whiplash definitely comes to mind. Um, but even like his smaller movies, like I don't know if you ever saw The Spectacular. Now I, I did see that where he's, he was basically the alcoholic. The alcoholic, but his performance was so good, and that's also like an early Shalane Woodley too. But um, I feel like this isn't necessarily my kind of movie. Like I didn't love Wolf of Wall Street like other people did, um, but I'm also surprised I haven't seen it because I really like both Jonah Hill and Miles Teller, and this seems like their movie so i'm sure i will i mean i, I appreciate what, what i liked was um yeah I, I think there's a bit of an element of satire but it, it's it's very low-key it's almost like mm-hmm. british humor where it's not really over the top yeah um and again you, you just kind of it, it's you know in some ways you start to understand of why people would get caught up in this world you know i mean that uh you know at the height of all of this uh these guys were 25 years old wow they're your age yeah uh, so, it, it, you know, and when, when you're basically on any given deal can make, you know, 300 K, um, that's, that's big. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you, you know, the, the, the way the trailer advertises it is that it's the big job, right? It's the $300 million job. That's really kind of what they build towards mm-hmm. and what really screws them over. Um, but throughout the whole movie, for the most part, it's more about these smaller jobs. So I didn't realize they were so young. Do you feel like two questions about their age? Do you feel like one you could buy Jonah Hill and Miles Teller as playing twenty five, and two, do you feel like their age was a major focus? Because when I hear that age, I think like, wow, that's very interesting. Do you feel like they played that up in the movie that these these are kids, really, or not so much? I, I think they did, uh, you know. And I think again, I know they're a bit, little bit older than twenty five, but I, at this point. Um, you know, I've seen the way it's gone, like 40 year olds still could look like they're in high school. Yeah. Like it's just gone to that level. Uh, so for these guys, I, I bought them and it, especially because they have, they play a great immaturity level mm-hmm. in the movie, you know? Um, I mean, they're just they're much like the real guys, like, you know, they're in over their heads. They're able to do this, but they're getting high most of the time. Interesting. You know, that's Todd. It's kind of like Todd Phillips meets a more serious, We'll get we'll get to it, but I'm, it sounds like he was probably the right pick for a director in this case. I think so. Um, you know, he was, and again, you know, like I said, it had his various tropes. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, starting off where we're kind of going to end, yeah, in a way. Um, so that way, it's like, okay, well, how do we build to that moment? I don't know if it was the right choice for this movie necessarily to do that sort of sort of sort of storytelling. Interesting, because unlike Hangover or Due Date. Uh, you know, you're starting off. I mean, you're spanning months, if not years. Right. So, whereas with uh, Hangover, yeah, you're you're spanning basically a day and a half, two days tops. So, so you don't necessarily feel like opening with the with the ending serviced the story. Yeah, I, I don't think it added anything more to it. But I did think, you know, uh, something that different than he did. You know, like I said, he used almost Tarantino-esque chapter cards, and I thought that was yeah. an interesting way. Um, and unlike Tarantino, they weren't just like chapter one and then the title, it was quotes of kind of what was going on. So it set the tone for cool. what you were about to watch. Interesting. You know, and I, I forget the exactly what, but you know, like shit's about to hit the fan. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. You know, or like, uh, again, paraphrasing, uh, you know, that doesn't sound legal at all. <laughs> 
so there was an element of like irreverence kind of to the movie and yeah okay so this is another interesting question i know that a lot of this movie takes place in the middle east obviously not all of it some some of it um i feel like when i think todd phillips i don't necessarily think like culturally sensitive like geographically nuanced kind of director do you feel like he handled like the ethno like centric conflicts sensitively or did he need to like how is that presented good question jeff thank you um i think well here's the thing uh i i think he handled it in the way the characters would have handled it because here's the thing. I mean, you have Jonah, you, you have Ephraim going through customs, right. being like, hey, I'm American, sorry, yeah, no, yeah. I need to go first, it's okay, don't worry about me. That's fair, yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, is he being sensitive? No. But because Ephraim is not being sensitive whatsoever. Now, interesting, okay, you would think that it, it actually takes place in the Middle East a lot. Uh, believe it or not, it doesn't. Uh, because the $300 million deal, at the end of it, uh, they... they um, Bradley Cooper's character kind of comes in there because he's uh, he's he's the best of the best in this world, uh-huh. right? He is he is the war dog. I forgot he's in this movie um, too. But he he's their kind of guy, and uh, basically they need to put together uh, the three hundred million dollar deal is the deal of all deals. It's, it's what they're calling the Afghan deal. So I have to put together all this stuff, um, and it's a lot. And typically you would have to piece together multiple suppliers in order to fulfill that type of order. I see. He's able to fulfill it. Uh, through one dealer, mm. um, you know, and that's you know. So basically, basically, he's kind of like a middleman. Um, and what's interesting, like they get it all from Albania of all places, huh? Um, you know, and it's in- interesting, kind of learning because again, y- you kind of think about it in this way. Like most of the real interesting part, most of these bullets and this ammunition and these guns, they're like hundreds of years old, old, some of them, right? Interesting. And they get passed from one war to the other, and it's like, okay, well, let's say you and I were at war. We no longer are at war, but we have so much leftover crap, and uh, Zach, who's in the booth today, maybe he's at war with uh, our co-host Marissa. <laughs> well, then, you know, I don't need my guns, so let me sell my guns to, to him. But each of us individually represents a country. And uh, I, I thought that was very fascinating, especially with the middle of me. Like, you know, uh, it's such a it's such a weird and odd history between the Cold War and, and like, you know, it makes you think. Like, as much as like, I don't know, for lack for lack of a insensitivity, like as, as as fucked up as we think that that part of the world is, mm-hmm. like we we fucked it up. I know, and we're we're financing the problem. Like we're fueling the flames as well. It's a yeah. It's interesting. I um I th- one thing I've noticed this isn't a question so much as more of an observation, but I feel like recently like the cinematic approaches to war have been very kind of unconventional because I think of Zach who's producing our show actually right now. Um we covered Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, which was that Tina Fey movie that came out this year. Check that on an anatomy movie. Check it on an anatomy movie if you like this kind of genre, but that was also sort of an unconventional irreverent approach to war. Um, and then there's this this year too, and I feel like we haven't had like the standard like Saving Private Ryan or I guess there was the Hurt Locker, which was five or six years ago, that was but a bit ago, a bit ago. So it's interesting to see how Hollywood is handling war because I feel like it's I've, I've recently the conflicts and ideologies that are driving war are so fucked up, as you say, that there's no way to approach it straight. You well, can that, only that, take a satirical approach. I don't that, know, and there's no one like. With World War One, there's a clear, distinct ending. With World War Two, there's a clear, distinct ending. Yeah, and for better or worse, like yeah, we won. Yeah, uh, and so you know you can kind of tout that and be happy about it, and make a good movie. Whereas this, like, you know, uh, we're not the war's not over. 
we no one's really won or lost and so like yeah there's a there's you know how that how do you end a movie a war movie without an ending we're in it i guess in the same way if we're talking classic movies dr strangelove kind of did the same thing as they were in amidst the cold war i it's interesting to think maybe that's how hollywood handles during war we have to take kind of a satirical approach. I don't know. Maybe. Well, there's also uh, the, that year there was Doctor Strange Love in '64, and there's also Failsafe, mm. which was actually much more. It, it, it did the same thing as Doctor Strange Love, but it was a very serious take on it. Never seen it. I'll have to. Would you recommend Failsafe to me and audiences? Uh, yeah, because it, it, again, it, like Doctor Strange Love, the whole point is they went beyond the border, right. beyond the failsafe border, and the, to trigger all the nuclear bombs. Yeah. Failsafe is. Same thing, except a serious version of it. Oh, that sounds good. Um, but uh, uh, in terms of, in you know, uh, and it's the it's the little things. What what I appreciate about this, right? This is, um, and because it's an enemy, um, and even though you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to spoil like I like okay. Ben spoiling right. stuff. Um, um, you know, I I it was the little things that broke it down, right? Uh, they had ammunition from Chinese. Even though it was because the Albanians bought Chinese bullets. Hmm. And that's how they acquired all these bullets. Well, the U.S. government can't technically take Chinese bullets. Wow. Because so of... they repackage the shit out of them. Oh. But the problem is, th- this is where, unfortunately, Ephraim got a little greedy. Uh, he didn't want to pay not only um, Bradley Cooper's character. He also didn't want, you know, uh, out of that, he, he stopped payment to the Albanian shipping plant. And because of that, the Albanian shipping plant was the one who called. Oh, so the... The U.S. government and tipped them off. <laughs> Interesting. That was the, the broken link in the chain. Which, by the way, they were making... They were set to make three... Um, and, and this is how, again, you, you start to examine the greed of things. Um, they actually got an amazing deal. So initially, th- these things were in heavy crates and things like that, and I, I forget how much it would have cost. Maybe, maybe like three to four million to ship it. Um, by repackaging them, they actually ended up saving like seven million dollars. Um, and so the cost at which the Albanians wanted to repatch the entire thing was a hundred thousand dollars. Interesting. You couldn't pay out of a three hundred. You, you were already saving so much money they, they couldn't pay. So it, it kind of speaks to greed. Now speaking of getting a great deal. Um, one of our great sponsors is Blue Apron, and talk about a great deal. Oh, Blue yeah. Apron. Okay, if you're unfamiliar, it is a subscription um, model for food. You get food delivered right to your house. Um, you know, which by the way, okay, so a couple of things with that. Number one, you don't have to go grocery shopping. I hate grocery shopping. And you know what? Even if I did like grocery shopping, okay, let me buy all the ingredients. Oops, number one, I forgot an ingredient that I need in order to make the thing that I need to make or I want to make. Two, if I only need a, a small portion of the ingredient, but it comes in a stupid large box, exactly. now guess what? Now I'm stuck with this, and, am I, and I'm just wasting money. I, exactly. And I actually am a Blue Apron customer. My girlfriend and I use it all the time. Um, the thing I really, really like about Blue Apron is just what you said. You get to use these exotic ingredients that you would never want to buy just for a single meal, but they come in a perfectly portioned amount. So, like, I can use, like, 
taro sauce or something delicious from like Albania or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's just I well, feel like technically it doesn't come from Albania because it's all grown locally been... here in the U.S. Oh, see, I'm wrong. But what's so cool is I can use these exotic ingredients and like feel like I'm this like cultural foodie, and it comes right to me. I don't have to do any work. It's awesome. I know. And uh, you know, the nice part it, it, it's meals, customized meals delivered right to your house. Um, you get your preference, right? So when you sign up. You get to say, okay, uh, you know, are you this? Are you that? What do you prefer? Uh, so, so your dietary needs are, are met, mm-hmm. and that's the fantastic part. And uh, I hate, I hate the notion of thinking every single day of like, oh, what do I want to eat? This is like, this is like a nice little surprise of, oh, and these are ready, you know. And again, it's within your dietary means. So for less than ten dollars per meal, you get delivered all these amazing recipes. Um, with all the ingredients that you would actually need, um, as I said, it's it's uh, you know it's local farms, it's fresh food, um, which you know uh, I know uh, I know it's kind of over overstated in many ways. Like oh, you should look like no, you should eat local, mm-hmm. um, and this is an easy way to do it. It's not like you have to again. It's making it simple, um, and the variety is fantastic. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild caught Alaskan salmon, heirloom tomatoes. It's it's just amazing. It's it, it you have variety, it, um, it's flexible and it's easy. So easy. Not only do you get the ingredients, you get uh, you get like one page mm-hmm. right with pictures Their that photos. explains how you do it, and it takes less than less than forty minutes. It's really quick. You heard it here first. I like legitimately struggle making pop tarts, and I can make Blue Apron food. Like there are photos, and like it's like. It'll tell you exactly how much to put in and when. There's like explicit. It's like so easy, and I'm an idiot. So I would highly recommend, even if you don't think you're a good cook, you are with Blue Apron. Well, how about this? If uh, if you're a little on the fence, you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Well, guess what? Get your first three three meals for free if you go to blueapron.com/anatomy. Um, and guess what? Not only is it the, the meals are free, but the shipping is free as well. Wow! So try it out. Um, I I promise you will like it. Um, you will get you will get addicted. But uh, have yourself a good experience. Get your first three meals on us by going Blue Apron. That's uh, B L U E Apron, like A P R O N dot com slash Anatomy. Like three free meals and free. Sh- it really doesn't get better than that. I don't know why you wouldn't do it. <laughs> no. Cool. That's Sounds great. Right. All um, right. So one thing you were just talking about, Phil, just these the complex dealing mechanisms, you know, Albania to the U.S., whatever. So I'm thinking of the big short again. It sounds like there's a lot of kind of complex. Do you feel like these concepts were difficult to understand? Like, I feel like sometimes I see these financially complex movies and I'm a little confused. Were no, you able... because it wasn't about finance and they didn't overdo it. Yeah. Um, it was as simple as like, Okay, you know, uh, the, the us uh, Americans can't do business with the Chinese mm-hmm. military wise. Okay, and it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, you're not talking about CDOs, FFs, <laughs> like whatever the hell the big short a Jenga movie. Tower. Um, so there are a lot of exotic locations. It sounds like in this movie, in terms of the story, where are these characters visiting? I mean, it, it's um, they're exotic, but you know, unlike Fast and the Furious, not you're not going to Dubai. Yeah, uh, you're going to literally like third world countries. Oh, wow. and um, in some ways, I don't know. Uh, I, I can't say this for everybody, but you know, I, I kind of look to it for me is, 
uh, you know, in, in many ways, like, we don't necessarily want to consider the actual realities of war. Um, but let's say, like, if you are e- even pro-war, I'm sure you don't really think about where the ammunition comes from. Mm. And uh, if you knew the truth, like, I don't know. Th- th- there's a certain element where you're like, okay, well, I'm not willing to do it. So if I'm not willing to do it, can I really be 100% upset with two guys in their 20s that were willing to go through Fallujah and to, to be in Albania for months in the bitter cold in, like, Schittsville, Albania mm-hmm. in order to, to, to make money? There is kind of a sense of admiration. Like, you know what? They've got balls to do that, all that yeah. stuff, you know? And, and again, it's going to be because, you know, they get they earn their chops in the movie. And it's in the trailer, too, when uh, they deliver kind of their first real shipment, their big shipment. Um, and they go through the Triangle of Death. <laughs> and they find out that they've been through the shipment. They're like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> we go through all triangles, including your mom's. They're like frat guys who are, like, risking their lives and getting off on it. Yeah. Interesting. Gosh, you know. I do want to see this movie. Um and anything else in terms of story production, specifically about the movie that you want to talk about, performances? Um, the ending's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, for those of you who've seen the movie, slight spoiler, I just, just that moment when Bradley Cooper's character, you know, here's, here's Miles Teller, and, and, and it's the moment between where he's, he's still got, he's retaining a little bit of his innocence, but he knows he, how messed up um, he is the world that he's actually entered into without even knowing. Mm. And he's asking all these questions and Bradley Cooper just flips open that briefcase full of money. And he said, Hey, this is all the money that you would be getting. Um, now no more questions. Wow. And that was it. And you're like, and it makes, because the questions that he's asking are so, uh, uh, directed. So poignant. And you're like, wow, if he's asking these questions and, and, and Bradley Cooper is telling him no more, you start to wonder, like, holy shit, how deep does this rabbit hole go? How many people actually got killed? Like, how many things, how many deplorable things happened in order to make this happen? This will be my last big short reference, I promise. There's that moment when um, Finn Wittstock's character and the other kid are so excited because they realize they're going to make millions off of this moment and brad pitt's character is like you can celebrate but don't fucking dance and it's like that serious do you feel like this was kind of a similar moment tonally of like the uh, not quite different, different different you know uh it just i think it makes you it makes you think a little bit different because in that regard unlike with the big short you know uh you as an audience member you're not in that position you didn't short the, yeah. the, the market whereas this you start to think, and even though you didn't participate in, you know, uh, selling of ammunition and whatnot, um, it's much more like, wow, this is something that I've been blind to. Wow. You're not, no one is civically engaged. Yeah. If you're in the audience, you're guilty of knowing as little as these characters, even though you might be able to to be a good citizen do figure some of this stuff out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the movie basically says, like, anyone who believes that war isn't uh, for profit it, it is is either in it and lying to you or a freaking idiot wow yeah so it, it sounds like this movie has a moralistic component more than a typical todd phillips movie probably probably interesting well certainly much I think more you've... than due date yeah 
Well, Phil, I think you've convinced me. I think I got to see this movie now. I think it's you know. Uh, how is speaking of seeing this movie? How is it doing? It hasn't done so well, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, it's got mixed reviews. Fifty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, which isn't terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it doesn't make it certified fresh because it's the sixty threshold that makes it certified uh, bum, fresh. Those producers must be bummed that one more review would have given them that beautiful tomato. But um, but you know, I, again, I think I think the only thing that hurts it is really the the voiceover. Really? I really do. I mean, cinema score is a B. Um, and perhaps people, you know, because it is a Todd Phillips movie, and the way that uh, th- that they kind of build it, it was, it was supposed to be more of a comedy than it perhaps was. It does have amazing comedic elements. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the guys is like, hey, what does uh, AEI stand for? I don't know, it's just fucking made up. It sounds professional. <laughs> what the fuck does IBM stand for? And then he actually, <laughs> International Business Machines. Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. Who the fuck are you? Um, you know, and so so it has its comedic moments and, and whatnot. Uh, but I, I don't. I, I think perhaps people were expecting it to be a little bit more funnier than it is. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think you have to. And it's not the it's not the reality that people perhaps wanted to see. You know, maybe maybe they wanted like a comedic, sugar coated, uh, spoon fed type of version of this. And it's like, well, n- no, it's actually pretty harsh and you should open your eyes to this crap interesting and, you know that that was still existent now guess what it might be still existent today or perhaps even worse yeah so that's that makes sense i think movies like this can be tough to market because you want to draw in a comedy crowd but like if you it's i think these kind of genre ambiguous movies where there's a lot of crossover i think sometimes how do you sell it in a 30-second trailer? How do you sell it in a poster? I think of another... Whiskey Tango Foxtrot was another one that was a funny movie with serious lessons to be learned, I guess. And I think it can... Audiences sometimes have trouble with that because they go in with expectations and they're not always met. Wolf of Wall Street was a huge example of that. Like, I think my parents were like, oh, great, a Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Like, oh, my gosh, why am I watching Jonah Hill masturbate on Quaaludes? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that movie was successful. I'm, but it was very successful. But wasn't the cinema? Wasn't the reception kind of from audiences kind of mixed? I forget. I forget. But for some reason, I remember. I think like there, it got like. Well, a I think because it was also a three-hour movie. It was really long, and I, yeah, I think like I don't know. I I, I haven't seen it, so I can't necessarily speak to that. But that's interesting. Seen Wolf of Wall Street. No, sorry, yeah. I haven't seen War Dogs, so I can't speak to if it was the same effect. I, also, but. I mean, you know, uh, they chose to go a very Scarface type of marketing like i mean the poster itself is yeah. is, is modeled after scarface now um you know uh, jonah hill's character he's influenced from is influenced by that movie scarface hmm. um so it makes sense but you know i mean was it the right way to market i don't know yeah you know uh what's the box office say the box office uh we, we were expected to make between uh 12 and 15 million opening um you know, as of now, worldwide, it's made $24 million. Um, opening weekend, it made fourteen point three. So it kind of went into that mark overall. Um, you know, the, 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 the budget for it, let's see, the, the budget, uh, $40 million budget. So it's not, it's not the biggest budget in the world. Um, so I think it can make its money back overall. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think it's much like what, what – what it broke it down for David and Ephraim was the small thing of not paying the, the shipment guy. Hmm. I think it was the small thing of just too much voiceover. Yeah. That, that was the make or break of this movie. So there must have been a lot of voiceover. I mean, it's from start to finish. Yeah. Start to finish. It sounds like... It's interesting because that sounds like it was the thing that didn't make the movie an A-plus for you. 
and you think like that's in terms of a production decision that isn't it i guess if you feel like the story relied on the voiceover the problem might have been in the script a little bit although i mean but here's the interesting part like i thought they had enough techniques i I, that i I don't think you needed it you know uh because part of it I think I think they just compressed a couple of things too much huh. that you didn't need to like you you shave off a couple of minutes elsewhere you know because um you know you could tie it in. for example um we, you know his background David's background is a massage therapist hmm. and you know you kind of needed to explain that but um but Ephraim does a decent enough job multiple times throughout the movie like when he does have a staff meeting yes this is a little bit later he's like hey. I literally took this guy. He was jerking off guys for money, and I made him a millionaire. <laughs> He's like, that's not quite true. <laughs> but at least, like, okay, like, that's all I need to know. Like, I, and, you know, seeing him uh, do massage therapy, like, you know, you don't, I don't need it in voiceover form. Like, I can, I can get it visually. You can see it. Um, that makes sense. It's And by the way, it is. The, the actress who played it is, uh, she's also in Hands of Stone, which which uh, just recently came out. Um I look forward to seeing her more of her. Not only is she she beautiful, um, but she's uh, I think I think she's going to do really well. Um, Ana de Armas. Ana de Armas. She was born in Cuba. Cool. Awesome. Uh, so, I feel like it's time for us to have like a um, a beautiful Latin American actress surge to the forefront because I feel like I, I think thought of, you were selling pillows. <laughs> I think of a lot of our greats like Penelope Cruz and um, who else. There's so many. Uh, um, who was who was in um, Sausage Party? Um, not plenty. Uh, who, uh, Zach. Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek. Yeah, 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 that's what I was thinking of too. I feel like it's time for us to have another star, another A-list star who's a little younger, maybe. Yeah. Search to the forefront. So. Well, she's only uh, she's only 28. Very cool. Looking forward to that. Um, all righty. Well, um, I think that does about that. That does it for us. Here, let us know what you guys thought of uh, of this format. Got one more question, if that's okay for you, Phil. Sure. Uh, we're talking about legacy of the movie. I think all three of these actors, Bradley, Miles, and Jonah, are at least Oscar nominated, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, so, do we think we're going to see any kind of award, any kind of gold for them around the corner come twenty seventeen? Not from this movie. Not for this movie. All right. Not for this movie. Let's Fair be enough. honest. Yeah, I guess it's not really an Oscar type movie, but I thought I. It's it's got a fifty nine on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got to be on Cinema Score. <laughs> not for this movie. Fair enough. And it came out in August. Yeah. Not for this movie. Cool. Um, so there you have it. Uh, let us know what you guys thought of the format. Uh, maybe in the future, uh, if there's ever certain movies where uh, there's people that want to kind of talk about it, but not enough of us have seen it um, here specifically, then then we can kind of do this format again. Uh, and also, let's, let, let me know specifically what you guys thought about the movie. I'll be happy to chat with you guys about it. Obviously, I've seen it. Um, overall enjoy it so want to hear your guys opinions if uh if you have any differing thoughts and and did you guys find things shocking did you guys empathize with them at any moment despite mm. their deplorable actions um anyway uh coming up we've got don't breathe we just recently did um stuff we've done kubo we've done Wol- kubo we've done wolf of wall street kubo is completely different than this we've done 22 jump street um, we've covered a lot of Bradley Cooper movies, um, a lot of Jonah Hill. Uh, we've covered um, a lot of Miles Teller movies recently. Uh, Fantastic Four, which wasn't the best, but we, we did cover that. Um, Spectacular Now, I think we did cover. And Whiplash, of course. Whiplash, of course, yes. Um, so plenty to go through in the archive section if you're, uh, if you're itching for more content. As always, check out more 
content here at Popcorn Talk Network. Zach, who is in the booth, a uh, special shout-out to him. Uh, a, a newer show, Sci-Fi Weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a fan of Sci-Fi, definitely check that out as well. Uh, we'll be seeing you guys next time. Peace out. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.